In this episode, we interview a Dwight, a pre-seed founder exploring the problems in the metaverse, such as the possible adverse effects on the mental well-being of the creators and consumers, and what Meta is doing to onboard people from real life to the metaverse. He shares this with us in the second half of the podcast. In the first half of the podcast, Dwight shares how his time as senior product manager of Lab126, this is Amazon's hardware division, i.e. the makers of Kindle and Alexa, and as VP product at Mobile Premier League, a gaming company, led him to his desire to being a founder. I'm Pras, a machine learning engineer, and I'm James. I am a head of product. Today with us, we have uh, someone called Adwait Alai. Um, he's been uh, uh, a long friend of mine. We'll come to that uh, in a bit. But Adwait has a very interesting product-oriented uh, mindset, and he uh, has uh, worked in places like Amazon and Mobile Premier League. Hi, Adwait. Hi, Pras. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners how you, uh, how we met? Yeah, um, sure. So, um, so I uh, know Pras uh, from my school days. Uh, it's been a while. You know, it's more than um, fifteen years uh, since we kind of knew each other, and we are we are actually seeing each other face to face after. I mean, we met once in the middle, you know, uh, maybe five or ten years ago. But beyond that, it's it's great to see you again. Uh, so yeah, we both studied in you know schools in in Mumbai. Uh, we kind of met first over there, and then I guess we followed very divergent paths, right? Um, so I can see you've you've done a whole bunch of awesome work around AI and ML, and I mean that's like honestly the best one of the the cutting edge places to be in, right? And uh, uh, and I, I, I kind of, you know, I started off with a engineering uh, background and, you know, studying computer science in, in IIT Madras, which is your Indian Institute of Technology, which, which is, it, it's one of the, uh, the top engineering schools in India. Um, I studied engineering there. Um, I, I actually kind of had a love-hate relationship with engineering. Uh, yeah, there are things which I really liked, you know, in terms of, I mean, it it I it sort of helped me get into that flow state quite often, which I really liked, and and solving a hard problem, you know, going across obstacles and kind of uh, doing stuff. But but I mean, there was part of me which kind of yearned to understand more, uh, uh, kind of get a three hundred and sixty view on how businesses are made, right? So I kind of uh, left my engineering field and and, and joined the bank, <laughs> uh, which is. Uh, which which was nice. I mean, I spent two years at Nomura, which is like an Asian, a Japanese uh, origin bank. Um, you know, did uh, exotic structuring was kind of like fancy that back then, and it is still fancy right now. But there's a whole bunch of regulation in that space. Uh, but anyway, I spent two years there. You know, then went to my B, went to a B school. Uh, thought I should, you know, be an engineering in a, a tech focused company. Amazon was like a big recruiter in India. So after my B school in in India, um, I kind of worked for more than half a decade at Amazon um, in various in you know and in, in in two in two different roles, right? One is uh, one is a retail uh, role where we were launching um, the the two hour ultra fast delivery program for Amazon, um, 
so i was i was kind of leading the 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 city uh, uh, pnl and uh, business for mumbai city which is the place where i grew up in uh, and that involved a whole bunch of things around you know how do you offer the best selection lowest prices you know best uh, inventory and in stock uh, situation to customers right and and overall kind of be the one point person of contact or uh, accountable for offering the best uh, experience to to folks who are shopping for grocery online so that was my role in the first half of amazon the next half i kind of uh, went to uh, i i kind of uh, jumped ship into a, a more techno a tech focused role which is um, you know in the devices team so amazon has this cool cool sounding uh, uh, subsidiary within the company called lab 126 uh, i don't know if you, you guys might have heard of it but they kind of manufacture the the consumer devices your kindles and echoes and so on so i was part of you know again a zero to one kind of setting where we were launching this out let me call it like a uh, <clears throat> i mean i'm i'm not at liberty to give like a lot of detail but it was kind of like this uh, internet uh, service or or semi internet service for indian consumers right um uh, you know a whole bunch of interesting stuff around you know setting up a network infrastructure so like sort of manufacturing these wifi devices to kind of offer that service to customers and indian customers the context was very interesting so i can talk about that as well and um and yeah i mean after that i kind of uh, felt you know i wanted to kind of be part of a, a smaller younger you know faster moving um not to say amazon wasn't fast but even faster moving company and and mobile premier league was my last kind of formal uh, professional setting right where it's it's essentially a gaming company and a mobile gaming startup so i was there for a little over a year and um i i kind of left um mpl in may and since then you know i've i've not really you know coined a term on what uh, what what i can call myself but it's it's kind of exploring various spaces and figuring out how to use technology right uh, in in various areas of interest which i can talk about again <clears throat> awesome that's that's a that's an amazing journey you've had adwait so just for our listeners people from india probably know about this but people not from india uh, the iit and the iim combination is the golden career path it's the it's the equivalent of a stanford and a harvard um, so a stanford btech degree and a harvard like an mba degree uh, for uh, for india and arguably more competitive right uh, uh, so so you have the cream of the people going in there and uh, just just moving uh, forward i i think you missed this so the way uh, you, you seem to have launched prime now in india right and prime now it was this 2 hour service which uh, basically got you groceries within 2 hours it was the delivery version or the dash door version uh, of um of of grocery delivery so how was that like that was um that was fun that was great i mean um, it was uh, <clears throat> so it was my first job out of b school and you know in in uh, in hindsight and, and 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 it's relevant since you mentioned that you know it's it's iims are you know some one of the the top colleges i feel i i honestly learned a lot more about business operation strategy from uh from prime now than and amazon than in b school and uh, <clears throat> i i don't know i mean i i sort of get uh, the the more i kind of spend time thinking about it the more i feel that 
uh, experiential learning, there's just no match for it, right? And you'd, you'd rather be kind of executing something on the ground. Um, but anyway, that's I, I like that. So um, it was it was great. I think um, you know we were we were kind of so the the history is that in 2014, um, Prime Now in the US had kind of launched, and uh, you know they had it, they had a different app and you know a different stack, and they were they had, they were kind of doing well. Um, you know, I I think Insta Instacart was was the company which was you know really got getting a lot of investor attention in the US. You know, get get your groceries in two hours, right? And um, I think our team in India was was kind of like launching that, uh, uh, launching and kind of you get sort of um, you know extending that that kind of experience to to folks in India. Um, uh, obviously, with you know few uh, few India specific uh, priorities, you know, for example, the the mom and pop stores in in, in India are, are like a huge kind of distribution channel, right? And uh, a lot of lot of sale and lot of lot of kind of um, um, uh, you know uh, sell through happened through big organizational chains in the U.S. But in India, you know, there was a lot of trust over your local mom and pop store. So we were trying to kind of um, initially Prime Now started with the branding of Kirana. Now we also launched. Uh, so Kirana is a is a Hindi word. It it essentially means your your local. It's a small general store, right? And uh, we our our value proposition to customers was like, hey, you you really don't need to get out of your house. You can you can order this online. And this was this was 2015, right? You didn't you didn't see the likes of Swiggy and and Zomato back then. I mean, Big Basket was another competitor in the grocery space, uh, but uh, but you didn't you didn't see a lot of heavy competition in grocery then. So. Yeah, I mean, it was so we started with three P. You know, we 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 had a bunch of learnings. So three P is third party. Three uh, uh, P essentially means that hey, we are we are trying to integrate you know inventory systems and you know stock uh, SKU keeping etc. from all of these small mom and pop stores, and and uh, you know kind of have an accurate snapshot of what what is the what is the catalog to the end customer. You know, deliver it on time. Make sure that your catalog is up to date. So there are a whole bunch of um, you know experiences we had managing and working with these mom and pop stores, and um, yeah, um, James, you do you want to chime in here? So I I want to just ask about um, your jump from senior product manager to uh, becoming a VP of product management in your next company. I was just wondering from from their point of view uh, what. What did they value from you that uh, promoted you from a senior to VP um, by the market? Yeah. Oh, this is this is like a this is also a jump from uh, the grocery bit to. Uh, I mean, I started remembering my grocery days, and now this is a jump from essentially the product to the VP side. So, um, I think I think there's firstly. Um, there is no rule book in in the market uh, to kind of I I feel this that there's no you know standard rule book to evaluate talent across different company sizes, you know different industries, um, mm-hmm. to say whether let's say a director or a VP in a certain series A series B series X company is equal to uh, let's say a senior PM or a group PM in a certain larger company, uh, right? I think it's. A lot of times, it just happens to be the way um, 
you know the the leadership of startups or leadership of companies define what a director or a vp is at least that's what i've seen yep. in india that you have um, you know vps in in seed or series a uh, companies who are like super who have a, a lot a lot less experience than you know the senior pms of or the the pms in big companies yes uh, yeah so it's i think it's just it's it's just like you know if you want to attract talent from the fangs and and you know these that, that kind of talent is super in demand the companies are willing to make trade offs and and kind of say that hey you know we will hire you at this level and you know these are your responsibilities and we we believe that you can kind of upskill and grow yourself and kind of deliver at that level so i think yep. that was i i don't think beyond that i i don't see that there was i mean that's eventually when i joined as a vp and i was hiring folks right hiring pms and and hiring talent mm. um i i honestly saw a lot of difference in the the talent i hired at senior pm at the startup versus let's say if there's a senior pm in in amazon um so it it's just it's just a function of you know how how much the candidate wants the job you know what is their experience how do they fit to the context and honestly the designation and the title just came at the the last in the pecking order of the, the decision making <clears throat> yep um the the question also alludes to uh the the complete context shift from delivery and then uh and suddenly you're in an e-sport um company um so i was alluding to like this is totally different industry different everything so and then for them to uh say hey we need this guy um to sort out our games business what do you think from yeah. their point of view was the value from that yeah so i think uh, i mean looking at the, the talent uh, we had in the company right we had folks from you know we had folks from amazon at the same level we had folks from alexa we had folks from aws you know they had experience kind of um uh working with developers with with working with you know uh, uh, deep tech devices mm-hmm. which which really did not have a lot to do with gaming um i think the what was more important at the stage was uh, seeing if you know folks can kind of bring in the the discipline and you know the practices used in big companies to make sure that you're launching successful consumer product mm. um and i think i mean that's what even even i kind of as i kind of go and we can talk about it uh, as i go through my early stage pre seed kind of uh, thinking i i really do value you know folks who can learn and you know, are motivated about kind of like the problem statement uh then you know finding folks who have like probably 5 or 10 years of experience will also be very expensive um but mm. but yeah i think it 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 also depends a lot about the culture of the company and you know what kind of talent they're looking for <clears throat> true you you bring in a good point over there about uh, the culture of the company we we've, we've been talking about culture i think consistently over the last couple of episodes as well just trying to go back uh, in time you said you were just getting into your grocery days so just just honing in a little bit over there so you also mentioned prime now um, or other products that you developed uh, within amazon were 0 to 1 kind of products so could you could you talk a little bit about the intrapreneurship culture uh, within it doesn't necessarily have to be amazon but within these uh, big companies 
Yeah, when when you say entrepreneurs, you mean like encouraging entrepreneurial thinking within big companies, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is so so important, right? Um, I've 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 really that's one of the things I've really been thinking about nowadays as well. Like, how do how do companies fend off innovations from smaller, more nimble settings where they can just try out an idea the next day, right? How do they how they are just too big and you know it's just so like so process oriented that uh, you know how do they actually address this very key requirement of innovation? I think so. Amazon, um, yeah. So Amazon had like let uh, okay. Let me let me put it this way, right? So <clears throat> I think uh, everyone knows that Amazon is 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 one of the more aggressive kind of uh, companies within the rest of the companies we there's there's kind of this perception that we we want to move fast you know there's this day one mindset mm-hmm. which has been drilled right from jeff mm-hmm. to several teams right and it's kind of incorporated in several practices like day one for example means how do you how do you encourage day one thinking uh what that means is even if you've kind of launched your product you know for the last and it's been live for like one year what do you it's still you still have to have that mindset where you you think that it's day one for your product and there is so much more you can do um and and you know this involves i'll just kind of i'm i'm just kind of uh, uh trying to recall from you know uh, what my time over there so one of the things was you know there's always like an open door to present this this these pr faq documents have you have you heard of them uh, no i'm not i've not heard of them Prash? I've heard about yeah. these one-pager documents that, or it doesn't have to. Oh, be these are. Page, but... He's talking about the press releases. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've I've heard of definitely. Um, I've I've in my previous company, uh, we've used them. Yeah, yeah. In fact, in in the in the start in the gaming startup MBA, we also tried to use PRFQs. We um, uh, just. We we tried to use that in one of the companies I was working in, and it worked in certain occasions, and it simply did not work in other occasions. I think there's other cultures as well that form a part of the effectiveness of that, right? Yeah, uh, I think, but I think Amazon did pioneer it. I'm not too sure. I mean, I, it just seems to me that you know other companies have drawn inspiration, but I think. If if there's one company which really follows PRFQs, it's just Amazon. It's super serious about its document writing culture and and PRFQs. Yeah, James, go ahead. So, um, I have a theory of how they why they came up with this, and it's it fits the corporate uh, mindset um, completely. In that corporates, they tend to a majority of people who are attracted to it. This is generalizing, of course. Are staying more conservative or less risk-taking, right? And versus, you know, someone who's joining a, a startup that has like a runway of a few months, right? Um, to get that person who is more, who is less risk-adverse, um, the, the trick is they help them, rather than always thinking in the past of see what works, they get them to think of what the future looks like. And in in the way, it's still getting to think of the past because it is asking them to reverse what happens. Think of the future and then work your way backwards to the present, just like how they work from the present to the past. It's the same 
logic, but they force them to think of the future um, in that way. And that, this is my personal theory of why this is being applied here. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I think so. There are two two forcing functions. One is absolutely think about the future and and try to verbalize it on a document. Second is like articulate it from the point of view of the customer. Uh, because it's really cool at times to think about fancy futures, but you know, if you're not able to put it down in, in terms of your customer as to why they would appreciate that innovation. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's why they're the world's most obsessed company. Right. And, yeah. uh, and that's, 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 that's what they kind of force people to do. <clears throat> yep. That's the other obsession is, uh, obsession, a crazy obsession for the customer. Yeah. It's, it's a principle. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean that's what they do. So they they'll they'll have an open house of you know like a global PR FAQ reviews team, where anyone from across I think they are like seventy eighty k odd you know corporate uh, employees for, are not leaving out your your warehouse and delivery staff etc. There might be more now, but you know anyone can can, can sort of block time with this with this uh, panel you know made up of they're, they're called like CXBR. So CXBR is customer experience bar raisers. And they're this panel who kind of review weekly, you know, every week, multiple ideas, which comes from multiple parts of the, of the country, of, of, the, of, the, of the world. And uh, give feedback on ideas, you know, um, give uh, ways to improve it. And, and kind of, and a lot of them have actually, you know, seen the light of day. So, yeah, I mean, that this is one of the ways in which, you know, they promote, uh, adjacent thinking and innovative thinking. Um, I mean, I, I can't say about Amazon. Another kind of practice I've heard from, I've, I've experienced myself from industry is like hiring, right? Uh, so I don't know if, uh, James, you might have given Google or some of uh, a Google interview. Uh, but, but I actually happened to, you know, speak to one of the recruiters at Google and, and one of the tips they said is that, hey, you know, they, they, they value creativity a lot, right? Mm. So if they ask you, Hey, you know, how do you build, how do you build, I don't know what a robot for like, uh, for like a household robot for, for blind people. Uh, <clears throat> right. So they'll, they'll, they'll value your creativity and out of the box thinking more than your structured approach to the problem. Uh, yep. And that's where, you know, they kind of encourage and celebrate uh, kind of creative ideas. <clears throat> this is uh, the moonshot um, ideas. Um, I, I've been through a couple of uh, those interviews and definitely recommend trying to cover both angles of being practical with one of the, uh, the answers, but also extend your moonshot as well. So you don't give one solution, you give multiple solutions and they all range. And then you, of course, talk about the risk of each of them. Yeah. So moonshot solutions. And I've, I've also read about these bar racer interviews in Amazon. So uh, many, many companies have different processes and often at the end there's an HR interview or something like that. But Amazon seems to have something before the final stage, which is called the bar razor. And that's where you kind of set yourself apart from the competition, right? You set yourself, uh, you, you, pro you show what, what makes you different. Uh, so, uh, so 
we're shuffling between the past and the present and a little bit back to the past. So uh, going forward in time, right? So Amazon product manager, um, senior product manager. Uh, we did cover this before. So you jumped into uh, vice president at um, MPL. So what what got you into esports? Like what what fascinated? Like was there something that you were working on in Amazon that uh, that kind of joined that thread, or was it a completely different ball game? It was uh, it was many things. Um, I mean, so I've personally been I've been I've been a gamer, right? So I I love playing game PC games. Um, I also like offline sports. I play a lot of basketball. Um, I thought you know a combination of both of them will be will be awesome. Uh, and uh, and I, I think also you know I was I was kind of impressed with the kind of talent and folks uh, at the company. Uh, I knew personally a couple of them uh, over there, and you know I was quite excited to kind of work with them. And um, I think it's it was uh, beyond a point also like you know trying to get a change of scene after five and a half years at a super large tech corporation, right? Get a pulse of what what is the startup space in in India, and I was not. I was not super picky about, you know, should I like really go after my my mission in life, right? It's more about, hey, you know, these these it's I sort of seems to tick these boxes, and you know, it's kind of something which which seems fun. Let's see what it, uh, where it heads. <clears throat> just just curious, do you still play basketball, Edward? I remember in our old school days, you were always uh, playing basketball. Is that? Still I do. I, I do. I, I try to do it a lot, but you know, I had a knee kind of injury in the past year. But like, it's kind of gotten better. But I, I would, I would just jump at the opportunity when I see one. Awesome. So, uh, if I could, maybe this is a lot of corporate bullshit. So, uh, is there anything from like your your basketball days or lessons you've learned from basketball that you br- brought on to the corporate world? Um, just for context like a lot of people talk about sports in general right they talk about teamwork and they talk about um, thinking on their feet Uh, do you think uh, they've been integral to your growth Mm. I think yeah I mean I have uh... I mean I think it's it might kind of sound a little cliche right but it's you you're you work as a team you learn to work as a team like it's it's not that hey if you score like 50 points in a game like you're it that's it you win your your team also has to win so i think it's just like you know i was i was captain of my of one of my the, the institute uh, leagues in in iit um and it's uh, <clears throat> one of the you know uh, my kind of hostel or halls and uh, it's it's i think it's more of it's a, a lot of Success in sport also has to do with kind of getting your team together and growing as a team versus just yourself. So um, it just taught me, I think, subconsciously. I never kind of really attributed to sport or basketball, but subconsciously, um, you know, I've always kind of respected working as a group and kind of understanding and empathizing with with your peers and kind of uh, collaborating better, right? Um, so and that's that's. Uh, you know what you know that's the bread and butter of what pms also do they kind of get consensus so that i'm really appreciative of what basketball taught me in that in that direction uh, apart from that i mean i think um, 
it's there's it's a physical aspect of the sport which which I really love, but uh, that really didn't <laughs> help me in my corporate space. So uh, what happened uh, in in your um, gaming experience, and then sudden? No, it's not sudden. You were there for a whole year. Um, and what made you want to move on? Yeah, so um, that's a that's a yeah. So um, let me uh, so let me just sort of give you uh, my thinking of how I wanted to shape my career. Right, it was mm. uh, my kind of goals or career goals was about eventually getting to do something on my own. So just from a purely you know personal interest point of view, I my goal was to understand um how big companies work you know how they how they kind of get you know raise funding you know investment asks within the company how do you kind of work with peers or you know you go to a smaller size companies and you when you work you understand their culture what makes them tick and and and, and i really understood like you know i had i sort of had tangible learnings around what makes mpl for example different from from amazon right like for example i think we tried one of the the pr faq processes and Kind of incorporated that within NPL, but I, I don't think that worked out super well because the the kind of speed and you know uh, pace at which we have to move in startups is very different, and the kind of safety cushion is also very different. So I I definitely learned that you know mm. you can't copy paste practices or activities from company A to company B. So yeah, so that is that is uh, I mean that's the learning I kind of got, and from a longer term perspective, I always wanted to you know try out something on my own um from that point of view um i so uh, again so just w- what i worked on at mpl was was an esports uh business right which was kind of zero to one it was like esports has this component of you know getting players to compete online and kind of streaming their their gameplay to viewers who are interested in in, in following those matches right and and a lot of it, uh, you know, had to do with uh, not just building the right product, but I think the industry was also at a very nascent stage. Um, uh, you know, esports. If you look at the overall gaming uh, industry across globally, esports is probably two or three billion out of a two hundred billion dollar gaming industry. So it's super small. Uh, the reason it was interesting to us was because it was gr- growing at a fast clip, uh, you know, 20, 30% year on year. But um, a lot of your esports um, uh, success depends on how strong the game is, right? Around which you build like an esports uh, IP, intellectual property. So, so for example, um, uh, Dota or, 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 or League of Legends would have their own, you know, Marquee tournaments where they say, hey, there's this League of Legends annual World Cup and, you know, we are calling the best of the players and, you know, the, the finalists will get the prize money and it'll be streamed on your Twitch and your YouTube and all these channels. And people watch it because, you know, the game is super exciting. It has this kind of buzz and community around it, which um, uh, which which works, right, for, for not just the game, it also works for esports as a separate business model. Um, business model for esports, you know, a lot of it is dependent on partnerships and sponsorships. So you're you're you make money when you 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 sort of are able to attract 
either endemic brands or uh, you know uh, sort of external brands right like for example the endemic brands would be graphics cards or like cpus or computer manufacturers would would kind of uh, sponsor the tournament or you you'd also have uh, what do you call the external brands like a red bull or gatorade or something which have nothing to do with games but they kind of like see a good positioning so that's where you get a lot of the uh, the kind of uh, money um so so the the way the the reason i'm kind of bringing this up is that you know having a strong solid game and a partnership with them is is crucial to the success of esports and um so i think um while it was it was super uh, you know important for mpl as a gaming platform to get uh, to kind of involve itself in esports uh we had uh, kind of like a long way to go in terms of um, you know partnering with the biggest game publisher you know to run esports tournaments on them um you know something like a like a battle royale game uh you know the pubgs for example they are super like popular in in india but unless you kind of work with you know the pubg publisher to say hey we will run all of your esports activities uh, uh you you if if they don't agree you you're sort of you you're dependent on some of the other smaller games which are running on the platform right so um what i'm uh, so i think long story short is that you know it was uh, there were, there were two things so one is kind of getting the traction on esports as a business for mpl uh with the absence of kind of strong triple a game partnerships and at the same time um a lot of the indian you know venture capital industry was seeing like this crunch not just indian it was a global venture capital winter right and a lot of companies were seeing consolidation and you know focus on core business and profitable areas and uh, they had to see you know um focus on so so for mpl the focus the primary focus and the business was coming from real money games right where uh, like a poker or uh, you know india rummy is also a massive card game in india which is a real money game so a lot of efforts had to be doubled down on on that aspect so i think we did not get a lot of um, uh time to actually focus or or a kind of you know invest in esports to make that uh make that big so i think it's a it was a timing issue which kind of um, um got me to think about what's next right um oh pras pras you have a question interesting so uh, just just uh, so this this is quite an interesting journey that you mentioned the reason being you're going from uh you almost went from zero right and then you saw the whole uh, journey in mpl and also the the hurdles along the way uh, just a fundamental probably this is just because i don't know enough about the industry uh, how is like esports when it comes to like card games and stuff different from like an online casino uh so uh, so we support i mean mpl supported games of skill right so only if uh, you know we had deemed that games are games of skill did we So kind of have those games so we would not have a roulette for example support on the platform um, um there and there are certain casino games which we deemed as game of skill like poker is played in casinos and we had that on the platform right so it, it uh, to answer your question it's there is an overlap but we would not support games which um, you know are just a lot, have a massive luck element in them 
Awesome. And you ended up with uh, a pretty interesting topic, which is the um, the the winter, right? The VC winter. Uh, so why are you deciding to go, uh, let's say, solo or start something during a VC winter? Hmm. I think, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm a little bit of an optimist about it. Uh, there are two ways you can look at it. You know, uh, either you can think that, hey, there's no money and there's no, that's not the right time. Or you can think that, hey, the, the investment would be probably more thought through, right? Because, I mean, a lot of, let's, let's say if money is cheap and free, you know, a lot of times ideas and companies get funded without a strong business model. And you have to go through years, months, or sometimes years of pain to realize that, hey, it's not going to work out, right? And that, that initial exuberance wears off. So I think, I mean, I I think that, you know, deal flow has, I mean, I've, I saw the numbers. I think it's just dropped more than 50% from the same quarter last year, but it's still like a good chunk. And India has, I think, remains in the top five of VC investment globally, if not the top, if not the third after US and China. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think, I mean, if it just gives time to kind of, I think I think the, the the positive part is that you know if you get funded in this ecosystem, you can be a little more confident of, about the idea, and it's kind of like an optimistic way to look at it. That's a that's that's a very insightful thing that you bring up because you treat the the VC winter in a way as a forcing function to streamline your idea, right? And that's I think a very uh, optimistic way. I wouldn't say overly optimistic, just rightly optimistic because you're taking the challenge head on and you're using the winter to basically, uh, to your advantage, um, which is, which is cool. So just, uh, okay, we've, we've done this journey all the way to <clears throat> MPL and coming out of MPL. Uh, so what's, what's, what's on your mind, Adwait? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a very, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a personal journey, right? So some people they leave with deep industry experience about a problem statement and kind of uh, try to address that problem statement. And some of them already have a team with them to, to build it. And some even have like seed funding, right? But sometimes it's uh, like, you, you don't necessarily have any of these. And I happen to be one of them. Uh, them where uh, I, I knew that, you know, I had to, I was this, so there are multiple things which came together for me, right? One is that, hey, I've been working for close to 10, 10 years. Uh, I mean, it might be a good time to kind of sit back and assess where do I want to take the next 10 years. And uh, that was one. Second is, um, I, am I am I moving towards my goal, which I planned, right? Which is essentially trying to do something yourself. Um, and um, and yeah, I guess it's just do, those two things which came together. Um, so I I kind of left in May. Um, you know, I, I took a couple of months just to meeting my family and some time off. But uh, since probably, you know, July or August, I've, I've been just trying to, you know, understand various industries and markets. I started with education. I started with learning. Uh, because you know, learning is is something I I feel is like so so crucial to anyone, you know, in terms of always 
you know being a lifelong learner being curious uh, upskilling yourself you know because it's so easy to become irrelevant after you know a year or two years of being in the same role so i, I mean that kind of like started with that space um i can i can talk about it but you know i i i mean, I, i did a lot of thinking in your lifelong learning and adult learning space what is missing over there uh i started with coursera i mean have you 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 guys must have heard of how courseras and udemy is there they have like abysmal uh completion rates right like if there's 100 people signing up for a course then probably less than 10 people finish it i uh, <clears throat> i can say that from experience i've signed up for more than 15 courses and completed probably 3 <laughs> or 4 yeah. wow that's actually a good ratio <laughs> <laughs> better than the average <laughs> Yeah yeah so I, was, i i just got curious like why why is why is that the case i mean is it that there's it, it's just something i just went a rabbit I, i went down a rabbit hole right and then i sort of semi realized that you know it's not it's just passive right your 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 video instruction is reducing a learner to a passive listener uh you're you're hearing somebody talk and you're not kind of learning by doing um and then then i felt you know hey is, what what kind of mechanisms are there for people to learn by doing right then there is there is actual work right there is you you actually join a company you work there for 2 years you kind of learn and fail you can you can try internships right um you can also try something on the side as a hobby but i felt there was no you know platform or or a or a place where you can actually try uh something you know simulate certain scenarios you know uh, learn uh you know and, and actually give the impression that you're trying something out rather than kind of listening to somebody talk about a certain topic uh i don't know what you guys think right that i uh, i think you bring out a pretty uh, pretty let's say interesting topic because uh the reason why lifelong learning is interesting in itself or continuous learning is interesting is in itself at least for this podcast right is our second guest or our first guest our second episode was a guy who was doing something in that space uh so we've never heard the other side of the argument where in a video based uh, learning solution is basically passive and we want to so a video based instruction uh, thing doesn't in- incentivize a person or a student to actually complete the course because you you drop off your attention span goes away into different directions over periods of months for example what i found interesting was uh, i just downloaded this app recently called lucid which is visual learning and i was reading a book on lucid they they go through the book visually and then there's like exercises uh, at the end of each thing but each exercise is constructed for the particular uh chapter or the particular topic and it's uh it's done in a very uh, visual way um so even when i'm learning for example uh, even if i'm learning something like deep signal processing the only way i can think about it is not by the math uh i need to imagine things i need to visualize things and it has to form a picture in my head um so uh so yeah i i'd like to like 
go deeper into maybe the visual learning aspect and the visual exercise aspect yeah i just want to go back to um the point of alluding to doing uh rather than passively learning so i'm trying to figure out what your motivations are so you started saying that you wanted to go solo right and I, I, I'm curious as to what was the drive to get you to do to go solo? And you're saying that you can't really go solo without actually being solo um, because you can't no. really achieve that. You can't learn that um, aspect. So yeah, what is, what is the root of it? Like why, why go solo? What was that drive? What, what, what clicked that is like, this is your way. This is your future path. Um. I think it's just, um, uh, I think it's part of it is that, you know, folks who have, who have been in like competitive exams and, you know, they've, they've gone to good colleges and then they're, they've been in an environment where they have to get the best placement and the best jobs and the best salaries. And, uh, then you kind of have to, you know, get on the treadmill again, where you're, you're getting like a super fast promotion. And then, you know, you're hopping on to the next, next role. I just had a feeling that, you know, um, uh, you, do, you don't really have time to yourself to think and assess about, are you going in the direction where you want to be? Uh, right. And I never, I, I try to do that a little bit, you know, on weekends on in my free time, but it like for me, um, I, I am, I'm, I'm horrible at multitasking or kind of you know, keeping two threads of thinking in my mind open, right? Where I'm thinking about my work and, you know, what needs to be done to to kind of improve outcomes at work. And at the same time, think about what I need to do to um, you kind of navigate in the direction where I personally want to go. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess at, that was that was a point where I decided that, hey, you know, it's been, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of crossed 30 and, and, you know, now might be a good time to take a small break and, and evaluate. So coming back, um, so crossing 30, stepping, uh, stepping back and taking a look at the last decade and the next decade, and you're, you're forcing, not forcing, but you're making an intentional move in the trajectory that you want to go. Um, so coming back to, um, uh, to continuous learning or lifelong learning. So is that is that something that you you're going deeper in right now? Or if not, what 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 told you that that's not the right thing to do? Yeah, I so I still um I I still feel there is so right now I'm not actively thinking about learning, right? It was just one of the ideas I had um, I I'm just curious about. Um one, uh, while I think there is a lot of potential there, I I also don't have a good answer to uh, the monetization and kind of business model aspect because content content and learning is just so cheap and and so vastly widely available on on YouTube, right? You can honestly learn so many things online, um, and you know from a from a cost or investment perspective, let's say you have to build like this cool experiential or interactive learning platform right um it just felt that it's it's going to be a lot of i mean it's it's kind of like building a game and games are like one of the 
most difficult mediums to kind of build and you know triple a game studios they just spend millions of dollars making like uh making a game right um so that was not kind of adding up so i'm 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 still like you know excited about the experiential learning uh need gap but i really don't know what is the best way to to address it um but but yeah that's i'm not actively thinking about it right um kind of focusing on few other things which are like super gray right now but uh, uh i mean yeah we can we can talk about those but not actively focusing on learning right now <clears throat> awesome so so i was uh, going where where we have a lot of context at this point and we haven't quite reached to your company idea yet and um yeah are are you okay with sharing that and yeah you could also talk about um your your journey to that to that idea yeah so i would, i would say i don't i mean i've i've been interested in the creator space right i mean my 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 recent kind of attention has been towards the creator space i i mean i do not i'm just looking at trends right now right um mm. i mean it's a it's a 100 billion dollar market globally it's it's not new and i mean it's creators have existed since late 2000s right when or, or early 2010s you know ever since youtube became big um uh the i think i think some of the biggest themes um have been around you know creators are not able to make money or or kind of earn a living you know in india at least less than 1% of creators actually make make any money uh creating content online and 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 i think much lesser than that would actually make something close to your average wage so it's and that is one of the one of the bigger problems uh second is your um uh you know it's a lo- lot of there's a lot of dependence on your platforms like a uh, youtube or or tiktok or and so on about prioritizing your content so i i've i've also talked to creators and game streamers from my from my mpl days and also creators now and i get the sense that a lot of your creators who are just starting out they just feel like you know they they're not able to kind of grow um or or kind of get the attention of the algorithm compared to some of the bigger creators so yeah i mean i think these are some of the um couple of big problems i know about at least in the youtube uh, creator space um uh and i i i mean there are there are also i mean it's it's also like a super there are a lot of players in this space right there's, there's patreon which has launched like years ago where you can just the creators can directly monetize from from fans uh which is solving the monetization problem to some extent um the the i think the dependency on platforms i think that's going to i mean there's there's some kind of web3 uh, solve might be useful there um but i've i've also done you know i mean i've not i'm not super convinced on you know the applications of web3 and and i don't see a lot of success stories around web3 um so i don't think that might i mean I, i'm not sure if that might be the best like possible solution or approach to <clears throat> to your platform dependency right uh, because the key problem is that you know creators have this massive anxiety that you know even if i create content i don't know how or when the kind of algorithm will change 
or whether I'll be successful. So I think there's there's a little bit of lack of control and lack of transparency in how the algorithm actually works. And this is like a big problem to solve. I, I just want to bring up an interesting thought about um, culture of different countries and the and the how how much they value creators for example um i'm just thinking back of like just being growing up asian they never say hey go be an artist james right go to art school right just just be a lawyer or be some sort of profession be a doctor right something that could survive a recession right so it's whereas in let's say in the states or you know more western uh, countries where they would be okay with that. They would cultivate that, um, and I and I wouldn't be surprised if the creators in the states are actually making has a has a higher percentage of making money. But then again, you know, in general, in 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 this world like of, of capitalism, we don't really find a lot of highly there's there's only like a small percentage of highly paid creatives, but the rest of them they all struggle to get paid. And I'm talking simply like working in publishing, working for a newspaper, right? Before you even start, you've seen, you know, the, sh the film Devil's Wears Prada, like the interns get nothing and they get abused and all that. And this is like the creative world, right? Um, and, I, and I always thought, is it because there's so much competition because everyone wants to, because it, it involves passion, creativity requ requires passion and they, they're willing to sacrifice so much to give. Um, and hence, they're willing to work for these companies without being paid much. And so, uh, to to get that initial spark, right, to get across that hump, the creators of in India, they're they're willing to spend their time on this to hopefully get reach that one percent. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, two things, right? So one is one is I think specifically for the media uh, thing. Uh, so Substack has has kind of risen as a one as maybe address the solution address the problem partly, where I I hear of a lot of journalists and media folks just directly writing through Substack and monetizing through their audiences. Like I mean, they must have thought that hey, you know, I have a following of so many thousands on Twitter and you know all these platforms, and and I'm not really getting paid for it if I work in a company. Why not just directly reach my audiences and monetize from, let's say, a Substack? Mm. So I, I guess that might be one uh, kind of vitamin or or or, or painkiller for them. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and the second thing I think is like it's at the bottom of the pyramid. It's just there's just so much competition for the same kind of mindshare, right, and eyeballs of the consumer. Like consumers are just going to spend the same amount of time. It's just they're not going to spend one more hour on YouTube every day to accommodate so many more productivity creators or lifestyle creators, right? So I think there's a lot of competition, especially for creators starting out to find a niche. Um, and I was actually talking to a creator yesterday. She has she has like 200k followers on on YouTube, and she was saying, you know, one of the biggest problems I faced when I was small was how do I find, uh, how do I, how do I find people, you know, or creators of the same level of me who are, who are kind of uh, doing the same kind of creating the same kind of content as me and, and, you know, kind of sharing our audiences and growing together. Um, because if, if I create con if you create content, let's say on machine learning and there is another creator who does the same thing, 
there might be some benefit to kind of share your audiences and grow together and and this this seems to be like a theme across other smaller creators i've spoken to in my in my time at npl <clears throat> so so this seems to be like you know finding dividing and conquering collaboration across all the tiers is 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 a theme which which, which seemed exciting you know given the competition <clears throat> hmm that's food for thought for us as well so we're starting off our uh, creator journey and i don't know whether we can still we we can already call ourselves as creators but uh, uh this is all insightful uh for us and for our podcast startup rx uh i'm cute so would you just classify the world as creator/consumer like is are you in just one of those buckets uh i think yeah i mean i think it it's it, it, i think i mean everyone you know i think creativity is is just innate to everyone so everyone has this creative flair whether they i mean whether i mean it's it's a good question to be honest right uh i i mean the question one of the corollary corollary is like why doesn't every why is why isn't everyone a creator right why doesn't everyone share their work online uh is it is it that their camera shy is that hey i mean another interesting trend is right i mean everyone have all creators have spoken to have said i thought about creating in 2015 but i was like hey you know i mean i i don't know what new am i going to say or contribute and i actually created my first video in like i don't know 3 years later in 2018 so a lot this i mean they're they're being held back by by questions of self doubt so on right but that doesn't mean you don't always have to create offline right you can create online i mean when you're working in a company you can create you're always creating uh so i guess i guess then your question is uh, are you, are you a creator online versus a consumer online <clears throat> so uh, the reason i asked that question was uh, i'm seeing this new trend not this new trend maybe for the last 5 6 years every time i look for a programming uh, uh, video or something to explain some c++ topic or some python topic uh, or some massive system topic on youtube there's always an indian uncle on a whiteboard who's there to explain it you know and i've seen the strand grow um, of late wherein i i can see those indian teachers and uncles or you know like as like tuition teachers or classes and stuff like that and they in a way are looking to grow their audience um so so the reason i've i've asked this is those guys 10 years 15 years before wouldn't ever thinking think about like putting a camera on them they don't they don't seem like the guy the guys who would be uh, camera ready right you you can see through the video that they're extremely camera shy their accents are completely wrong uh they 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 but they get the point across and that's all like a, a guy like me needs or a, a guy who's trying to learn this topic so what do you think about that trend like because i'm seeing a lot of consumers intercreate and interconsume like a creator becomes a consumer translates that uh creates more someone else consumes that 
and creates more. Uh, do you see that trend happening? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think I know that there's like order of magnitude of creators now is like, what, 50 million worldwide. That's, I I see a lot of different estimates, but I've seen pairing from like 50 million to 300 million worldwide. But but consumers worldwide are like hundreds of millions, right? If not billions, like every, a lot of people, every, many people have a smartphone now, even in, even some of the uh, middle or lower sections of society. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, I think uh, there are yeah, I mean there are. I have never. I mean it's it's. I have not been like an active creator, right? If you ask me why have I why have I not created, it's. I I would say that hey, it's, I'm definitely going to do it. I don't know when. <laughs> so for me personally, it's just a matter of time, because I mean it's it just feels super. I mean I there was this Adobe study. I don't know. If I can I can link it to you guys, but the biggest reasons why why creators create is not for money. It's not for fame. It's just, uh, they say it's mental health and being part of a community, right? They, they, they just love it when they're able to help their, their audiences, you know, do their job or live their life. Or they, they also love it when they see comments from their, uh, from their fans, you know, they, they are excited replying to them. So it just feels, I mean, in this world where, you know, everything is just going online, uh, it just feels nice to build a following, you know, just from a mental health and, and social point of view. So I think eventually people and as people live more and more of their lives online, right? And with with Meta also really trying hard to 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 further that cause. I think folks are just gonna want to build a community online. So it's just a matter of time when they start creating more and more. <clears throat> just a matter of time when people create more and more. So uh, on that thought, for example, there's this trend that people keep talking about uh, in terms of attention span, right? So uh, the uh, the long-form blog posts turn into vlogs, the vlogs turned into shorter videos, the shorter videos turned into TikToks, which were a minute uh, at max. Now, one, one way people could interpret that is that people have a smaller attention span these days and they want to consume uh, more diverse content in a given uh, given period of time, or do you think that's also because the these the shorter uh, the content is, the barrier to entry is also lesser. So you don't have to create a fifteen minute YouTube video. You have to set up uh, a bunch of mics and cameras and all that. But then to to make a TikTok or a YouTube short, uh, it's incredibly easier. Uh, you can make your 30-second video uh, very attractive uh, with very little effort, per se. Do you think it's it's not the attention span that's driving people to this, but it's the creator economy that's driving people to the shorter-form videos, which in turn is making like uh, the creations more interesting? Mm, that's interesting. So uh, I would not necessarily say creations are becoming more interesting through short form content, if that's what you're saying. I mean, it's, I don't know, that's debatable, right? <laughs> this is my thought, uh, just based on Prash's um, question there. I think um, it's not that our attention span are getting shorter. 
it's more like we're not willing to wait that long for that instant dopamine hit. And the dopamine hit is already, the algorithm has figured it out. Like what are elements of a good video, for example, you know, this is for example, you know, TikTok has mastered that, you know, a dance is exactly what people get instant entertainment um, of, of this generation. And, you know, previous, not previous, still is like, you know, they've figured out videos that say 10, 10 steps to this or 10 basic things, or, you know, what's wrong with 10 things that are wrong with this. Those, those are what gets people to click. And those are like short and brief. And it, people are no longer waiting for a long time. They, they, before they get this hit. So I'm just, I'm just thinking they have fully, they, as in the corporate has fully, not in the, not the corporate, but the, the algorithm has fully gotten down to the actual core of what gets us that magic moment. And they can repeat it over and over again within a short space of time. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think, you know, that, and it, it works really well for certain categories of content, like entertainment. I, yep. I think if you, if you still have to do learning content, there's there's no option of, apart from long form, right? Yep, so, that's exactly it. Like TikTok is entertainment. I'm not sure. Uh, well, this is a smaller group would be for enter for education, and they keep it bite size as well. But it's not the format to like learn anything deep. I mean, it's still in a way <clears> an entertainment way a fun way to learn in that sense yeah. yeah it is still in the entertainment category yeah so i i i mean one thing i was i was i really i was thinking about right like who and and, and i would love to hear your perspective as as a product guy as well right like who's who's thinking about the mental well-being uh, of consumers when when somebody is making product, right? This this makes fantastic sense from a business point of view, and 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 views, and you know, and and the content treadmill. But and 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 nobody should. I mean, from a from an economic or from a business incentive point of view, nobody should really care about what what is actually doing from for a for consumers' well being. Uh, and you can't even really measure whether you know it's it's good for the like good in quotes, right, or bad for the consumer. So. What do you what do you guys think about you know the like the normative argument of this right should should we should we kind of be like prioritizing short from a, from a business perspective? It, it's I'm, it's I'm, some... I've got opinions about this, but James, I'll let you go first because your opinions probably will be grounded in product and less airy as mine. No worries. Uh, we appreciate uh, definitely airy ideas and those what sparks further ideas. Um, I think what you're saying is is that why why are businesses like around the short term um, outlook and not the long term thing? And the reason why mental health is considered a long term thing is because it slowly gets you um, until you until you just realize that I'm actually you know mentally breaking down, um, and hence that's more of a long term afterthought. Um, so it's unfortunate that just in general, it's it's how our corporations are set up that are um, we're catering to the to the shareholders and they're looking for the you know the next quarter uh, report and so hence it's all short term, um, not long term, especially now when you know when resources are running low uh, or the perception of resources are running low, they are not going to plan for long term. 
um, they're going to, it's, it seems too risky for them. And then, so for a company to invest in, you know, the, or just the culture to invest in the mental health aspect, you have to enable them to see the benefits of this. It's like your consumers are actually being drained or they're slowly, um, you know, being harmed by this, that in the end, you're not going to get any consumers left as a result, for example. Um, yeah, in the end, respect that you should like, for example, a company should continue paying weight higher wages. This is controversial. Um, because in the end, they also are consumers of, you know, if they have nothing to spend, you know, you're not going to get anything back as well. So if it, it what goes around comes around is is more of a long term outlook. So I mean, as a product manager, really, having having seen all this is short term thinking is, is, if you only have short term thinking and not hedging for other things, um, you're likely going to create some Frankenstein product, definitely, you should at the same time run in parallel, um, long term features that is ultimately reaching your vision, which is usually, you know, 20 years ahead. So always aim for that. Um, always have that in parallel with with you always hedge um, any situation in that aspect. So just on yep. that note, not talking so much about the features, but about uh, the very uh, the, the the content itself, right? We, we, we see a significant sh shift from uh, long form content to short form content. And a lot of people correlated inversely with uh, mental well-being uh, now the, the famous things was uh, the famous news articles around Facebook um, training its neural networks um, to to basically achieve the most amount of views and turns out that those views are achieved on uh, content which is uh, hateful um anger driven and content which is against well-being uh, essentially uh but but that was a learning curve i believe for facebook like like the humanity did not have the knowledge that hey this is how like anger content works and anger content travels faster than than for example uh, calm interesting you know insightful um content so uh, I think through mistakes, we learn. And uh, I'm just looking at this. So I just bought a year's subscription a couple of months ago for this app called Calm. And Calm is a complete uh, mental well-being focused application. I still play maybe every two nights. I play a good night story before I go to sleep. And I find that I sleep far better than, for example, watching YouTube videos. Uh, before going to sleep. So I, I think there's a huge market for that. I think people have started recognizing it. I think uh, uh, also the money is talking. So Carve has made, I think, more than 200 or $250 million uh, of revenue last year, and it's constantly growing. Uh, way back when, when Facebook was still in its prime, Calm was making like uh, half a million dollars of revenue. So I think think the world has adapted the world has changed the world has recognized that hey uh, short form con content 
is probably not the best thing for my mental well-being but i'm going to give it give in to it as a gluttonous activity so people recognize that it's gluttonous people enjoy it for as long as they can but then they they they've started focusing on the mental well-being um, aspect of it as well that's just my theory mm i th- I, I think um you're you're potentially one of the rare few that actually recognize that you should shift away from the gluttony um cuz people and first they go through their stages right they first they deny it right uh they're they're fine i'm fine right they they should carry on until they're actually physically suffering um to the point where okay i think i should stop now um and then they move on to something that would counter or they they self regulate cuz addiction and habits which um these uh, these videos have created or you know the algorithm has found is is hard to eliminate um you know the reason why people are jumping into you know the the hatred and all that is because anger is a very quick emotion to respond to it to to get to it's the quickest emotion that we reflect on and hence yeah we start ending up in this cycle of going into that and start clicking videos for that cuz it makes us feel i guess um and then yeah what you've mentioned that there is a a learning aspect to to it like an understanding and someone had to explain to that person that that's actually what they're going through before they realize wait a minute i need something ch- changed up yeah it's i mean i've seen this kind of play out i i think fundamentally it's 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 also like this tug of war between business priorities and what the customer wants right and they're not always fully aligned like your your business priority might be like hey i want the most kind of eyeballs to get the most ad revenues and your customer yeah. might be like hey why don't you just put put in this feature where you stop auto stop scrolling after let's say 10 reels or something like business business would like all just throw up their hands and say hey i don't think you can do that because it's not yeah. great and 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 show me show me proof right show me proof as to why do you think in the long term it's good both for the customer and the business and you can you can never prove such things so it's uh, yeah that's where you know that's where you know strong kind of a product culture and a, a customer obsession i mean I, i would love to see what amazon does if they create like a a, a social kind of app right <laughs> with with yeah. but but it's just it will probably be differently handled in in different type of uh, companies <clears throat> this is uh this is where amazon reaches nirvana when they're actually telling consumers not to buy too much from them um <laughs> right yeah um so I think you you have a very interesting point where you realize that well we all know that we as in the users are not actually the customers I mean for the likes of YouTube and Facebook it's the people who buy who who bid for ads those are their real customers so we're actually um more like the 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 content which they need for their um their ads so it's the idea is like you should look after them um you don't want to kill it cuz afterwards someone else will accommodate i mean you've you've hit a point like if someone else accommodates your population will definitely move over to something that is 
more accommodating to that person, um, more helpful. And if people realize that they're being harmed, and right now we are seeing education of that. They have released many documentaries of how this is harmful for our health. People have switched off um, and moved on to other platforms as a result. I think there's a, you bring yep. in an interesting point, uh, James, about uh, the very nature of these uh, middlemen-driven revenue models. Yep. So the moment you have like an ad business, are you optimizing for ad spend or are you optimizing for the end user who's who's uh, who's viewing something, right? And I think that's where like there's been a, a slight cultural shift. For example, Apple Watch portrays itself as a well-being device, not as a smartwatch, right? You have apps like Calm, you have apps like Lucid come out wherein they charge you as a consumer rather than being driven by a hidden uh, revenue model. And I think that that very fact creates uh, creates a simple thing because anytime you're driven by another uh, another actor in your revenue model that you need to incentivize for, you need to take that into consideration. So if someone is paying for ads, you need to show those ads. To show those ads, you need someone to scroll enough um, and where do you draw that boundary between mental well-being and ad viewing so i think that's where like a direct to consumer paid model approach is starting to pick up and uh, yeah maybe it picks up more as people as people recognize the need for it more and you have good content around it so when calm came out i remember in 2000 when was it 13, 14, I was listening to uh, some of its content and it didn't seem sufficient enough to buy it. But today it's, it's gone. Um, it's gone a long way. Hmm. So just to slightly take a tangent away from the, the incentive models and the revenue models of content, um, what do we see as a content uh, medium? So the, the reason I'm asking this is I think otherwise we've spoken before about the metaverse. So I'm trying to tie that in. And what's the difference between the different mediums? Why is the metaverse exciting? Cool. Uh, that's... Uh... Okay, so I first of all, I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of differing views on how to define metaverse. I don't I I think apart from Mark Zuckerberg, like some of the top uh, tech CEOs have also expressed that they can't really define exactly what the metaverse is. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so your your question was how do we how do we define or like how do we kind of characterize the metaverse? <clears throat> As in, uh, for example, you could see the, the, the YouTube as an evolution of uh, the television. You could see podcast as the evolution of radio. Uh, you could see uh, radio itself as the evolution of uh, the printing press. Uh, so what, what, how do I view the metaverse as? Hmm. I think, I, I mean, in some, I think it's, it, to me, it's just like whatever is happening today, right? Uh, you know, in terms of us just being glued onto our devices for 
more than eight nine hours a day, and it's it's just adding like a spatial three D ambient kind of experience to it. I mean, that's that's how I would kind of look at it. And uh, I mean, uh, so even even if if you look at like who's who's pioneering the metaverse, right? It's it's very evidently like a Facebook, which changed their name to Meta, and um, whatever they're doing in terms of you know enabling. Collaborative work and you know collaborative play and learning, all of that still happens on on two D screens, right, and flat devices. It's just I think it's just adding like a spatial, uh, a virtual and a spatial element to it. Um, and uh, it's 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 attempting to actually bring people together without bring without actually physically bringing them together i mean if you look at a lot of mark's interviews right it, he talks a lot about how do we actually create this concept of presence without actually getting two people together right uh, it's i think so it's it's an it's it's an i think it's a natural kind of evolution of what is happening right now to a to a most spatial kind of setting um and i i honestly I I think Mark is is sort of getting more shit and uh, more more grief than <laughs> he actually deserves, right? Because it I I think it's uh, it it need not be dystopian. It need not be something which is super bleak for you know mental health or you know uh, even in terms of do people actually want to use it? I think I think there is a use case for people to collaborate better with VR and AR, right? So I think it's uh, it it needs to be built. Uh, in a way in which it's it's it really think about what what needs to be solved and how how can this technology actually solve it. I so I I think it, I, I'm I'm actually kind of optimistic for the the evolution of the metaverse. <clears throat> I I think um I think the um just just the thought about this yeah the progress if you if you've seen what they have progressed to um as in there's there's been recent releases of their technology uh with their new headset and what they're still trying to create right now they're moving into the world of mapping your actual face rather than creating avatars um and this is what they believe is will help some people transition to the to the metaverse because they want to have some sort of reality um I also, I also think um, just based on the the videos that they've shown where people felt cringe, um, I think to address that cringiness is, I think, uh, that, that aspect of seeing yourself as an avatar, they might think, why not I just, you know, see them on a Zoom video? I think the, the actual problem is, is that it's very hard to read other people's facial expression. You can't read an avatar's facial expression unless it's very high definition. What was shown in the demos are very much like the uh, almost like the Weemies uh, level of facial expressions. Um, so it makes it hard for people to connect. I think that that's the real the real issue is, and that that is probably why they're mapping people's real faces so that they could transition to that, and so they could get used to um expressing themselves not through their faces necessarily but you know with their arms and their hands like you know uh like some people in the mediterranean do they um they express themselves with their whole body rather than just their faces right so um i think that that needs to be addressed before people can 
picked that up, which is the the emotional aspect of um, not just the language, but also, yeah, their face facial expressions. So while other way they're still muted, uh, I might just add in over there. So there's there's the flip side for this argument, right? So uh, I I do agree that um, uh, facial expressions are important, uh, but as as compared to a complete presence, like just as if uh, I exist in virtual reality. I'm not too sure because Mark Zuckerberg talked about an interesting research they did in the early days of Oculus, uh, wherein they tried to get someone's hand completely um, on the metaverse. But then uh, uh, apparently that started uh, unnerving people and that was making people lose their sense of balance. And that's why they started... Uh, showing, for example, a device which someone holds in their hand and not their entire hand in the metaverse itself. Because when you're viewing reality in 3D uh, and even a centimeter of difference in the position of your hand or if it's floating and stuff connected to your body can just uh, unnerve your sense of presence mm. and your sense of balance. So instead, a cartoonish approach is what made people on board on it faster because they could like you know it's not real um but it's as close to reality as possible so your brain is not trying to uh make that connection as to where my hand is but then you know that you're just playing a game for example uh but i do agree <laughs> with the 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 expressions and uh, and and all that um, I, I just remembered your your hand motion and going back to what I was saying, I just remember watching Power Rangers, right? Uh, I'm not sure you know this live action, cart not not cartoon, but and child children's entertainment because they're wearing facial helmets, right? When they're talking, they actually have to move their entire bodies. When they're talking, they actually bounce around just to show that they're the ones who are talking. Because I thought, like, why are they so damn expressive with their comment? Because because no one can see their mouth move because they're wearing these full face helmets. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I was I was actually uh, experimenting with this. Uh, so I would I would actually love to show you guys like a live demo of of, a, of an interesting product I saw online. It's called Hallway, and it kind of uh, I mean it, it, I was really surprised by the kind of uh, face capture it did with just my video camera right and do you do you guys want to look at it i mean i can change myself to that avatar and it'll be this like fully motion captured face recognition avatar <clears throat> go for it uh oh, go for it yeah we we don't publish our video recordings right but uh people would be able to listen but oh okay okay just yeah, for, for our listeners them. over here adwait just changed into a completely tattoo ridden <laughs> yeah this is this is me behind the scenes right it's it's me talking it's me smiling opening my mouth so <clears throat> i mean we're, yeah we're looking at a 3d avatar of um Abbott and he is uh we're we're in we're in a zoom call and it's yeah it's his uh it's his talking avatar and we could see definitely a lot of uh his facial expressions yeah, it's, yeah uh, we could I see. Mean, we can see his eyebrows being raised whenever 
he's making that expression. Uh, we can see his eyes move, uh, his eyelids close. Uh, What's yeah, the name of the yeah. company again? It's it's called Hallway Hallway Tile. It's 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 public. I mean, it's definitely like you can check out. It's I, I'll just post a link to their. I can post it offline, or I don't remember the link, but it's it's we'll available definitely drop online. It, yeah. <clears throat> But uh, I mean, they have plugins for uh, for uh, for Gtalk. They have plugins for Zoom. Uh, they also have like a desktop application, which you can kind of use as the source for any other custom application. So, but uh, yeah, this kind of like motion capture is 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 there in the market. Uh, but yeah, it'd be super interesting to see like live your your actual face and not something which is cartoonish, right? uh that that'll be that that will kind of add to presents um that's a good way to test your consumers of how they react like if i showed up at stand up with this avatar cuz i had a bad hair day or you know you 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 could actually get your avatar to actually seem look happy all the time um that would save you from having to express yourself fully cuz for someone like me being an introvert it's it's very difficult i mean it's it takes energy for me to be more, more self-expressive right my 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 resting face is you can't read at all and that that gives everyone uncertainty or anxiousness when they meet me um because they can't read my face but if if i have this i could see myself uh utilizing this but at the same time i wonder how they would react to that it's a good test case yeah i mean but it's it's yeah it's 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 so new right it's it's a it's a very new era of like social interactions like you don't know how your audience will react if you're using an avatar it's it's not you but at the same time you can accentuate certain expressions you can outsource like social interactions to an avatar it's you can do so many things like i i don't, I, I honestly don't know what i mean it's it's difficult to predict where this technology will head but it's definitely interesting. <clears throat> wow, you said something pretty pretty freaky there. You could outsource your expressions, um, your your yourself, and then it alludes to people thinking, "Can I trust this person? If why are they hiding behind avatar? Like why? Like if I'm doing a business deal or writing, signing a contract, right? I don't want to sign it behind someone who is behind that." Well, it depends on the situation, of course, right? If it's purely for entertainment, then for sure it's fine because that's that's the context of that. So yeah, it depends on the situation. It would be and cool perhaps if, it would be cool uh, if, if I could type something and then it just so uh, just for context, when I was growing up, I used to chat a lot. I think we were all on Amazon Messenger or in those days i would never be able to to do a video call i was never the kind of person who would enjoy that except recently because of remote work situations um i i would just like to chat with someone and have my avatar express it and talk it out <laughs> uh, that that would be a pretty nice thing for me you know Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you guys think about customer service? I mean, I think it's already happening to some extent, right? You you know, customer service agents are trained to not lose their cool, uh, or or like uh, you know, air air stewards or stewardesses. Um, 
so i think this is already happening to some extent like like james mentioned it depends on the context it it can work in some context but i think that this is probably just an extension of those those settings <clears throat> yeah we just need to know the purpose of that context and if everyone is at in the same purpose we wouldn't express like something completely different so it's much easier that's why avatars is can be easily done in the world of gaming it's because everyone is trying to entertain each other and all in the in the same purpose they're not signing contracts with each other for or doing a business deal although in some games you are doing business deals and that actually is quite interesting like um they because they buy and sell items there they trade right maybe that's the transition where you could test like can we use avatars in those situations or we bring about you know someone having their real live facial expressions being scanned so that you you know who you're dealing with and that gives you the next level of realism in the world of the marketplace in gaming yep super super interesting stuff <clears throat> so just on uh, on the topic of metaverse as a medium Right. So I read this article a couple of um, weeks ago on Decentraland, right? The the one that probably brought uh, Meta shares down. So Decentraland had eighty, on average, eighty monthly users being like the top app of the metaverse. I might be getting my numbers wrong, but very few. So the so the question is whether the metaverse is just a fad or is it a is it an expectable real thing that's going to happen to us? That's a million dollar question. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a billion dollar question, billion maybe dollars. even more. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the I mean that's the hard thing about innovation, right? It's so hard to kind of pre pre facto determine if something is gonna work or not, right? Uh, as in, if I could phrase my question slightly differently, Edward, uh, in your opinion, right? Um, what's the what's the killer feature or the the thing that will get people on the metaverse? Like, what is it missing, or what does it need, or is it just a matter of time? Hmm. Just yeah, to... I think I... yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> I was about to give you some context, right? Just to help you uh, think about this. You remember Friendster back in the day? This was before Facebook, right? This was the dominating social media where they probably invented social media. Friendster, I had a Friendster profile. And then what really changed the outlook for Facebook is the invention of tagging. This is my personal opinion, of course. Once you tag people, you could click into the pictures and it, you could tr have a trail of what happened to this person and then you could see where they've gone and then you could see who their friends are because the tagging made it instantly connected through those pictures uh whereas friendster you really have to accept and it's just a lot more i mean they're just trying to achieve the same thing but it's it takes a lot more steps to find the same network um it's speeding up with that so what would so right now the 2d world is the current competition of meta at the moment. So, I mean, any thoughts of what do you think? I mean, this is a very billion dollar answer almost like, um, what, what do you have any inkling of what would be the killer feature? I think it's, um, 
I think I, I mean I, I think I should uh, bring up uh, Ready Player Me as as kind of like a, a really significant jump towards metaverse. Right? So have you have you guys heard of this Ready Player Me company? No, I haven't. So they they uh, position themselves as the passport to the metaverse, right? So in in the form of avatars, right? So any metaverse applications involves virtual worlds would have representations of humans within them. And they are building this platform and they recently raised their Series B from A16Z in the US from 50 million or so, or so on, um, <clears throat> on, on trying to solve. So one of the biggest problems with the metaverse has been interoperability, right? Where a lot of different people are creating their own instances of virtual worlds. Like, let's say brands will create like conferences on, hey, this fashion show, I'm going to create this virtual world and people can join. And then, hey, you know, this this singer will create like a virtual concert and, you know, some people can join. And each of them have different login systems and, and you know, activities they can do. But uh, I think, you know, uh, I think there is there's some amount of... Uh, um, yeah, I think one of the key drivers to kind of uh, grow your adoption for metaverse, I, uh, I mean... It has been it it has been uh, called as interoperability, right? Where you can kind of switch in and switch out of different worlds. Like for example, you can play games on on let's say a Fortnite, and in the same world you can kind of you know attend a concert of a singer, or you can mm-hmm. you can attend like a, a fashion show and and so on. So, I mean, if you if you think about it, right? So the virtual worlds and the metaverse is actually already happening. <clears throat> you have yeah. Massively online multiplayer games and in Dota and and you have MOBAs, League of Legends, and all. So technically, people are interacting and collaborating with each other online, right? Mm. And they are they are yeah. playing with each other online. So what what is the metaverse? And metaverse is it? I think I think a a, a sort of uh, metaverse is kind of uh, it it it's, it kind of encompasses more than and just individual gaming situations it's more about people actually living their lives online you know whether it is commerce whether it is different forms of entertainment it is education it is working right uh and to and to kind of get that i think there has to be i mean i i think that that there has to be some kind of stitching together of these different use cases Mm. so just on that stitching together uh, of different use cases, interoperability, and uh, and and a cohesive ecosystem, right? So uh, imagine our gaming economy, right? So people play Dota, people play League of Legends, people play Age of Empires, Minecraft, Quake Three, uh, in the olden days, and all of these games have different styles. Uh, so some are first-person shooters, some are strategy games where you have the giant map view of uh, things. So, or like if you look at something like Civilization, uh, that's a complete different uh, view of the game itself. So, do we actually require um, an interop ecosystem, or do we require a diverse ecosystem? which somehow is connected. You can go from one view to another view. Uh, 
Yeah, I think I think this is a fair question, right? The reason I felt interoperability was uh, kind of significant is that your I think the effort is to try to build an online life, right? Um, and that's that's what I mean. I think Meta is also kind of predicting where people more and more just have like a meaningful life online, right? Where and starting with avatars, right? With let's say Ready Player Me, you can build your own avatar. You can you can express yourself in different ways, and all of these things have real tangible meaning. If if I use my avatar, you know, in various virtual cons like con like kind of situations, it like it will give me some kind of social validation, or it will give some kind of meaning to how I represent myself online, right? So how do we extend that self, that kind of concept of meaning in the online world to different contexts? Um, like another, so I think another thing which really gives meaning to uh, to our lives is commerce, right? And and one of the one of the big things which people are trying to introduce into the metaverse is how do we how do we like transact stuff online, right? How do we let's say if I have a set of clothing for my avatar, can I sell it? Will somebody buy my clothing online, right? For somebody to want to buy it, like I think that piece of clothing has to have some relevance online, right? In that virtual world, but it it won't really have relevance unless um, I think you know there is some connection in 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 a certain way, right? Like if, let's say I buy like a sword or or a or a piece or a piece of armor in League of Legends, and let's say it's it's not really going to help me in in an, another virtual world right um it's not going to re i mean but but still i have to incur some amount of expense and you know i have to buy something uh, uh so i think that's where like i think as long as there are activities done online it's it's like connected um i i don't know how you would kind of uh, do that, accomplish that in the way you're recommending right where you have a, a diverse set of online words which are somehow tied together. Um, <clears throat> I mean, because it's so vastly different, like like an Age of Empires or a Civilization or or any other kind of separate game is like so different. Um, uh, how I mean, the the question is like, if you want to live a second life online, um, how do you kind of I mean, I I know it's like it's kind of uh, I'm not I'm not able to pin down exactly uh, <clears throat> why uh, or why why is interoperability so important, but I I feel that um, it's uh, it's it's just like it, you you need to uh, you <clears throat> I think so. Okay, so let me put this way, right? So I think if let's say you have different uh, economies. Right, but there's just one wallet of the consumer. I think just spending on different uh, economies and you know on, on things which have different meaning would would probably uh, and 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 on a diverse kind of disconnected you know set of people operating in that virtual world would be would be kind of like uh, it won't scale. I feel uh, so. That's I mean that's probably what the way I approach it. <clears throat> I think you're addressing two different uh, goals here, and I, I don't think they're connected just based on previous experience. You've highlighted the meaning of life, like they, 
a second life actually has to be meaningful as meaningful of you know your real life or better right and that's achieved via 2d games already like they they play these games because it gives them purpose and it has that instant community and family already you don't need 3d for that um so if they could do this i mean it's just a different medium it's just in 3d so uh the other aspect you mentioned is the interoperability as in you could seamlessly go from one world to the next now i'm probably trans contextualizing too much it's kind of like what google has done with you know the single sign-on where you could go to do office you could work um i mean with all their series in the single sign-on with the seamless like um method of going from working as well as to play and they were hoping you know to build the social aspect and then you go straight to your phone it's all with just you know done by one company where it has um, the ability to context switch quickly without too much uh, issues. Now, people, because of the success of that, a lot of companies tried to do that. So I've, I've worked in a publishing company that tries to own the whole end to end of how, do you, how you do research, right? But I found that as in they want to, you know, own not just this journal articles, but they want to own the platform which you organize your references as well as writing and then ultimately submitting. Like they want to own the whole thing and trying to create one platform where it's easy. And they made a huge bet on that, thinking that's easy. But you find that scientists doesn't really care about um, having a single platform. They just want the best application for each. I want the best search engine that could find me the journal arc and the best one that organizes my things and the best one to to word process um and that that aspect is no longer important so if i wanted to go to a concert or i wanted to go again to a, to play video games they would just are willing to sign in or just go to you know a contact to a concert and not mind that because they know this is the best experience so they really prefer that so Having a seamless thing only works if you're like, if you already own like the best of everything and you're just adding that additional convenience, it won't actually attract, this is my theory, it won't actually attract people because you're all in this single platform that can do so many things. Like, cause you're going to start feeling FOMO, like, sure, I could sign in easily here, but am I missing out on a better game or a better concert that from a company that actually focuses on that one thing? Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I was, I guess, I, what I was coming on, like from a commerce point of view, right? Like, yeah. just imagine, for example, if you take Ro Roblox, they have their yeah. currency called Robux, and you know, I can I can make some experiences, I can earn Robux out of it, and let's say I have like thousand Robux at the end of the month, right? Uh, but you know, there's there's this another virtual world which builds another set of experiences, and and I'm like, hey, you know, I have to. I've, I've kind of put in so much effort in Roblox and now I have to do all of this world building and, and social stuff in this other virtual world. Why can't I just convert my Robux to, you know, what are meta bucks or whatever they would want mm, to call mm, their, their mm. kind of currency, right? So I think, I mean, I think uh, like value value of certain social actions is is re normally represented in, in, term, in terms of currency, right? Or, or let's say value creation. That's how value creation is is compensated in currency and i guess if if there is there is no kind of connection between different currencies and different virtual worlds 
um it's it's like for the consumer's point of view even though you have like one application which is really awesome for games right and one which is really awesome for education mm-hmm. um uh uh you you can i think like there has to um uh so so let's say there are uh multiple there's there's one gaming application right which has which gives you robux whenever you create uh, awesome games and you know create clothes and so on now let's say there's another great product for for creating gaming experiences but it has a different currency um and they don't they are just completely insulated worlds and they don't really communicate in any way um and they have their different kind of currency right so the way i'm i'm guessing this will progress is that you know each of these virtual worlds will will progress in their own way right the same way where mul- multiple kind of social networks have coexisted together and eventually you know there have been like three or four networks which have really um kind of stood the test of time um the difference bit- between uh, b- the difference is that you know if you if you have multiple social networks like commerce is still kind of very exchangeable right like if i if i if i buy something on facebook's marketplace i can i can use the same currency to buy stuff on let's say google adsense or like buy stuff on you know uh, uh, twitter uh, you know for premium tweets or or whatever but if if there is a virtual world you know uh, three virtual worlds and i mean unless i think unless they kind of transact in the same kind of currency it it uh, it, it 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 kind of i think it gets to at some point you know gets the consumer to uh not see value in kind of participating in all of them uh <clears throat> but but i think i think yeah i mean if it, like how do i how do i value you know how do i value the the, the value of experiences in in a certain virtual world x versus versus y you you don't end up being the person that does this you let the marketplace handle that just think about how current currency exchanges happen it an exchange actually happens is because you're willing to pass some of your currency to someone else who actually is willing to travel to your country it's it's that's how it's not like you could actually utilize us dollars to buy uk goods you have to still exchange it to pounds because someone interpret the value of that and that's the marketplace so um it will come down to that and what you're hitting on is yeah we definitely need a transaction like an exchange an actual platform that allows people to do fx virtual fx um and there would definitely be speculators and this yeah just is an actual mimic of real life um but what you've brought on is the liquidity of currency like if you could actually move from one world to the next it increases the value of this world the world in the, the virtual world in general i'm not locked into this one place because this platform has enabled that and i can see it has to be done by a third party it cannot be owned by any you know one company right to do that it has to be agnostic to all you know the all the other metaverses as well to to self regulate and so, ooh that's a business idea yeah. right there yeah <laughs> so just on that right like just to uh, we we've, we've kind of covered a couple of different topics around the metaverse right we've talked about our personal presence in the metaverse through avatars uh, 
or realistic ourselves. We've talked about the need for uh, an ecosystem um, cohesiveness. Uh, we've talked about how maybe there are different worlds inside the metaverse, but then there might be a need for those worlds to communicate with each other. So some kind of a multiverse of the metaverse, um, in a way of saying that. And then maybe a way to go ahead with that is this interop FX or this virtual FX, as James put it, wherein you're able to liquidate uh, your experience or your karma or your upwards in one world and bring it on uh, to another world, whether that's valuable or not. Uh, that's a that's it's probably a market dynamic that will determine itself. But we, we we've touched upon different topics, right? One is identity itself, which is like, hey, uh, do we go with a pseudonymous identity with an avatar or something, or do we go with like a uh, a fixed identity that's connected to your real person all the time. We've talked about exchanges, essentially, when we're talking about interop, um, and we've, we're talking about your experience being valued in a different domain. So that probably lends, it, lends its way into uh, uh, Web3 um, as a whole. Um, now, whether you need web3 for that or you don't that's a different question um but but just touching these different topics like we, we've covered different topics of the metaverse so just trying to bring it back into uh the the, the idea phase of this pre-startup uh journey that you're going through other way like are you navigating this phase through a uh, a set process like uh, do you have phases in this process or at the moment are we going through something are you going through something that's exploratory yeah it's uh it's i mean there definitely has to be a a, a method and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like follow a method so right now it's uh, i mean i would say it's, it's exploratory right and uh, uh understanding you know doing all of your strategy stuff around what are big markets you know what are some kind of interesting trends what are some you know headwinds tailwinds in those market trends you know what is why you know and, and this is something i learned uh, you know i i give credit to from amazon like they, every pr epic you had a bunch of these strategy questions right where you would you you would ask yourself before proposing a certain idea what is the market? What is the landscape? You know, why why now? What is the customer problem? Um, how do we know it's a problem? Have we spoken to customers? Uh, so those are kinds of um, so those are the, that's the kind of uh, you know questions I'm I'm trying to trying to answer. So so let's say you're taking the creator economy and that space, right? Why? How big is that space? You know, what talk to certain you know uh, users or or stakeholders in that market? um understand what are their pain points you know are you are you building like a painkiller or a vitamin uh, are you trying to build a painkiller or a vitamin because uh, that's that's that i like i kind of like that principle right like it's always nice to build something which you already have 50 customers lining up who will want to buy it rather than like i don't know vitamin i, I maybe maybe a metaverse is a vitamin it's not a painkiller 
uh, but uh, but yeah i mean uh, uh, and and also see you know uh, spaces i am kind of my my expertise right is it consumer product is it is it gaming is it interactive media um uh, i mean i've done a bunch of software as well so uh you're you're essentially thinking your that's at this stage is where the team and you know the business are together right you have to understand your capability you have to understand competition um like how saturated the market is um so yeah those are those are the things i'm kind of thinking of and um i think one thing i'm really kind of uh, following is making sure not to get into the trap of building right uh, it's it's just so easy to just feel comfortable building something because it feels nice um but it it just takes so much effort to kind of build something and then you know it so much of demotivation to realize that hey it's not it's there's nobody lining up to actually use that right so <clears throat> i think it's it's just going through the the tried and tested and you know <clears throat> a product process of what is the problem you know prototype stuff uh run it through customers get feedback make a small kind of interactive demo iterate and so on right so it's uh, like i said it's like i'm just excited about the market but whether i i kind of figure out there is something meaningful to do there that's yet to be seen <clears throat> mm. Mm. and it's a very necessary step um yeah you could go you don't want to go straight into building and feel nice and then people don't think other you know like what is this product right um so yeah put that put that in there as a precaution uh, also yeah de-risk but don't stop you from actually releasing anything that's that's the other problem right to the other end where you don't release anything at all which is why i mean from from my point of view this is why i really appreciate your your step of it stepping into this like you've left your full-time job and you dedicated yourself to do this like yeah that requires a lot of mojo to do that and something <laughs> i haven't stepped into i'm shying away from that and and i'm getting inspiration for someone like you awesome i yeah i mean i i i hope it kind of works out well for you and uh, i i don't get kind of <clears throat> yeah i mean i think it's it's exciting it's uh it's scary it's exciting it's uh difficult it's it just it's just it's just fun i mean at the end of the day i feel <clears throat> yeah definitely i i i totally agree with that 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 was very insightful uh, by the way you I, i would i would recommend our listeners to just um, maybe cut the snippet of the last thing that adwet said and just keep it somewhere because there were a lot of points over there to unpack uh you talked about market discovery how big the industry is to to go for a painkiller or a vitamin uh, how do you start an idea based on personal expertise and um how you prevent yourself from getting into the trap of building things too early and focus on identifying your your origin in that space right uh, <clears throat> these are all uh, i would say very uh, important points uh, in your pre startup phase um just just on that so uh, i don't know whether you you've heard of simon sinek's uh, 
golden circle, the what, the the, the why, the what, and the how. So, um, so how difficult is it to find the why? This is, this is, yeah, I mean, this is like, this is so important, right? Like at the end of the day, when you're like, you're double questioning or you're doubting yourself and figuring out, hey, it was so much more easier to like, kind of do a job and like do something on the side. Like, why am I going through so much pain? Like that, that why just keeps you going, right? So you have to be so convinced. And, and I, I really love his concentric circle. It's like, why are you doing this? Like, you should be able to have a very clear answer. Are you playing social games? Do you want to get rich? You know, do you do you really love the mission? Why are you even going after this market? Right. And and it's it's so easy to like fool yourself, you know, as to why you're doing a certain thing. It's it and and the reason it's so easy to fool yourself is that you you just feel so comfortable being where you are that you know there's there's too much of anxiety involved in changing. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like we, we fool ourselves so many times. And, you know, a lot of times I found myself thinking in the past that, hey, you know, let's, so even like, for example, when I had, when I had, uh, when I had kind of started, when I left MPL and I started, you know, you know, thinking of ideas, I, I, knew, I built this, this game, which is like this, uh, uh, you know, which, which helps you test, which gives you math problems, right? It'll give you like, math problems one after the other and if you answer correctly you'll get some points and if you answer wrongly you will like die and you know you'll whatever you lose your lives and so on and i was like hmm hey this looks like this looks like super cool and and then i started thinking about which is the, the it was by the way the build the build trap i was mentioning right it, building something feels nice and i I was, I was asking myself why why did you think about building this and you I mean, you did have a sort of intuition that it might work and it, it will, it might still work for some users, right? But uh, it just felt nice building this. And I mean, the more I thought about it, the more I felt that, you know, I built this because I was excited about building some, uh, you know, something uh, interactive or something which, use, which uses cutting edge game-based technology, right? It, it sounded cool and it sounded fancy. Uh, and then, then it's like, it was such a revelation, right? Like, like what if what if you find out tomorrow that the the problem you're trying to solve for the market is is so much better solved with something different from the technology you're using now like will you still solve that problem and uh, and if the answer is no you know i'm wedded to this cool new metaverse or this cool new game engine technology which i'm so excited to use then you're you're just going to be in like deep trouble right like many months or many years down the line so <clears throat> I think I, I heard somebody say that, you know, you should not fall in love with the product. You should just fall in love with the market and the, the, the problems they're having because you won't, you won't care if X doesn't work. You'll move to Y, right? To, to actually solve the problem, right? So, yeah, I think it's, it's so much, it's so important to figure out why you're trying to do what you're doing because it, there's so much of rejection which comes from, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not able to hire people. You know, I've, I've interviewed 10 people, but, everyone's just like moving to fan companies and I'm not able to pay them salaries. And uh, <clears throat> so it's like, and that's, that's, that's when you become resourceful, right? You, you're so kind of bought into the mission of what you're trying to do. 
you'll just be so resourceful in in trying to make that work so it's i think it's super important to figure out your why <clears throat> that's a brilliant uh, product a head of product or a director of product mindset you cannot fall in love with the product you have to fall in love with the problem and um i say that it's it's only because directors and heads have that power to pivot whereas you know uh the seniors might still have to succumb to whatever is being said at the top. But of course, that that shouldn't dissuade your, based on your position from actually voicing up. You could always manage up. Um, if you can't, then it's a good time to, you know, polish your CV and go to a company that does, right? But definitely always maintain that think thought process yeah. to get ready to pivot. Because, yeah, it is the problem that's ultimately what will pay the bills or what you're solving for the user not the product itself. Absolutely. So and that's not- why it's so hard, right? I mean, you're as, as product, I mean, I'm not, I'm not discounting. I mean, uh, other functions have a lot of challenging problems, but product has to like make, make such difficult calls around like changing directions and, you know, as uh, like 10 or 15 days down the line, like saying something else after new information, throw away work. It's, it's just like, and you you have to be so dynamic and kind of so adaptable to to what your customers and what the market is saying that mm. there's just so many hard calls you have to make, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, that's it's. I mean, that's but but you're ultimately also responsible for direction and success, right? So it's yeah, it's it's, it's a wild ride. <clears throat> yeah, this wildness is definitely very apparent at the pre-seed level uh during your exploration you probably pivot many many times to hone to hone in your niche um for sure yeah hang tight wear that seat belt <laughs> that ties in very nicely into the product mindset right so uh, I, I would say me as an engineer i've suffered this uh, mindset of the what or the how uh quite often where you fall in love with the technology and you figure out, hey, I can use it this way, I can use it that way, I can build something on top of it. And you forget about what you're building and why you're building it, essentially. Um, So, yeah, that ties in with the product mentality. And would you say there are any other advantages that you as a product person inherently have because of your experience in a product space while you're building this, uh, going through this uh, discovery phase? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, there's definitely a lot of advantages, right? Because product guys just interface with all function of the business to make product successful. And if, you're, if you are building like a product-centric, mm-hmm. building a product-centric business, mm-hmm. right? Like, be an app or a software like SaaS product or a platform it's like just super useful to like because you're you're able to empathize with you know what different stakeholders in your in 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 the company think of right um business thinks about revenue models marketing things about you know traction channels you know as <clears throat> kind of cost of every channel um you know you have operations you have customer service so you're able to and, and that's exactly what uh, I mean, I've seen like even in um, large companies, right? It's product folks typically grow to 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 general management, you know, owning owning the entire outcome of the business, right? Um, and um, I I definitely feel like 
I have. So I have like a business uh, background as well. Before I went into, I I, I was I was, I was kind of uh, running business at Prime now, um, for one of the cities, and um, and after that I went to product. So it's I think it's it's definitely a good combination to to kind of start something, right? Because even if you look at founding teams, a lot of them start with a combination of you know either business and engineering or product and engineering guys, um, and it definitely like having you know that kind of background is super helpful hmm. um yeah <clears throat> for sure uh you're definitely you have the skill set of a business developer slash you know sales as well as you know being a product manager there are two very different skill sets one actually introspects and the other is like aiming to go out and just test and try to close a deal um it's it's a very different uh you know, set of skills. So if you're definitely a product manager who has the ability to raise funds, I think you'll be very successful. Um, like, cause the, the problem now is I, I see is that the founders, usually they're very good at raising money, but they, they're, they're not able to set up the product framework, which is more of an introspective aspect, the understanding, the why, but it's also at the same time, it's, time as well it's there's a lot of context switching like can you really think about your users as well as spend time you know going on these dates with these uh investors right it's uh, yeah it's it's tough work but if you know how if you know those two skills wow watch out right yeah 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 i think i mean there's others i, I typically have heard that you know you're all you're either in product mode or you're in you're in raising capital mode right i, yeah. I think it's very difficult to do both together but yeah. but yeah i mean That's if right. you have both skill sets you have to be able to sell and and build right if you have that skill set in the team i mean that's that's super helpful super helpful 100%. Um, so uh, what's what's your biggest challenge right now um uh, from a personal standpoint like is it just a cruise or is it a challenging environment it's it's super challenging right because um, one is one is finding uh, so right now i'm i'm kind of solo but uh, it's always super helpful to find somebody to kind of work with uh, so i uh, i think uh, having somebody like with the same skin in the game uh, to kind of bounce off ideas and you know prevent yourself from second guessing yourself is always helpful but uh, so that i think would would kind of be nice uh, <clears throat> but i don't i mean I, if i have to say if if you have to ask me if it's my biggest challenge i don't think so um although that is that is top of mind right it's always it's always kind of good to have a team of two or three co-founders uh and there are always exceptions to the rule, right? There is there are companies who have been just founded single-handedly, and I think this there's no end, there's no limit to human potential. And like even practically, if you if you look at it, right? You if folks who have worked in you know for in the industry in the wild, they have kind of built their network of peers they know, and it's always it it you can even if you're somebody who's like a single founder, you can always gain insights and kind of talk about your ideas and you know. A partnership like sort of forge partnerships you know whether it is in the form of equity or some kind of advisory partnerships um within the industry and 
you know, you, nowadays you can, I mean, if you have some kind of a decent kind of business model or kind of idea, you can raise angel investing, you know, you can probably like half or 1% equity for like 50, 60K per angel investor. And if you choose the right investors, you can always have this personal kind of board for, but not VC level equity, but like a angel equity to to kind of brainstorm with you on the ideas, right? So I think, I don't think it's like a super big impediment to have like a, uh, to to not have like multiple, uh, to, to, to basically not have a co-founder. <clears throat> um and and in fact on this on the other hand right i mean decision making for example can be super fast if you're if you're if you're a team of small co-founders right because and it's it's like a wedding it, just think about it you have to be so tied together in terms of why co-founders are working together what is their style of working where do they want to take the company right what what are they motivated to work about uh it's it's so much like a marriage uh, than than just like a business relationship, right? Uh, so yeah, I'm positive. I'm optimistic about. Uh, in fact, let me say I'm not too pessimistic about like uh, going at it solo right now. <clears throat> so if if that's <clears throat> if that's not your biggest challenge, what is? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I think it's just finding a winning idea. I mean, I that's that's another big thing because. At least for the for the ex, uh, when I started with education, um, I kind of had to spend maybe two or three months to be eighty percent convinced that there is kind of like a gap in uh, at least an experiential learning uh, offering, right? What what I mentioned earlier. So uh, it's. I guess it's a lot of work to 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 find experts to talk to. Asking the right questions is super important, right? It's it's you have to be able to know what are the biggest assumptions which are going against you, and what question you need to ask to like address those assumptions, right? So being smart about who to talk to, you know how how do you analytically size the market and you know connect the dots, right? Like for example, uh, the way I did it for education was. Um, Everyone just says, like all of these colleges and platforms say that, you know, hey, you can just uh, kind of get education on demand and, you know, you can access these videos whenever you want. But it didn't sort of tie up with what students were saying across age groups, right? Everyone was saying, you know, hey, I, I hate it when, you know, information is dumped on me. I love to just learn by doing and, and try stuff out. And then you start thinking that, why why is this such a problem right and why people are not completing their courses and why is like doing a three-month internship or like a two-year job the only way to kind of learn by doing right and and you at the same time have like this uh, trend of technology where you have games right you have interactive media of games which this entire 200 dollar business built on doing stuff but a lot of very like it's 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 sort of uh, not a lot of it is built for educational and learning purposes right it's more for entertainment purposes so how do you connect these dots to kind of figure out that hmm, this this sounds interesting why not kind of work on it so that i think this is another thing right it requires like a lot of effort and like uh, james mentioned like introspection um on what uh, 
like yeah how to how to find like a good idea and yeah i, I would not say it's like a it's it's not a challenge right it's 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 fun to do this honestly it's fun it's like being a detective so uh, but it does take a lot of hard work there's a method to that madness <laughs> so very nice yeah uh, a lot of hard work uh, to discover the the problem and the winning idea and also uh, find people to bounce ideas off right? uh, that's that's both but that's not an impediment for you right now because uh, well you've got all the three skills right you've got the product the business product the business and uh, some kind of engineering skills and the building skills basically so uh, it all works out so yeah i guess i guess the other challenge uh, if i have to when i think of it is like demonstrating proving your idea right like after all of this effort of connecting the dots if you have to let's say sell to investors it's much it's a much easier sale to uh to to go with some kind of traction now how do you how what is the fastest way and you can you can get that traction right without building a bazooka um what do you mean without building a bazooka i mean uh just so let, let's say your 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 problem statement is i mean your assumption your biggest assumption is that hey people like students don't really like to uh don't like passive learning they don't like to sit uh to to sit down in a chair and like listen for 8 hours to a, to somebody on video talking right they're they're, they're more likely to use or buy or pay for something which is more experiential you can prove this in 10 ways you can you can you can you can build a product for like one day internships you can build a product for like you know <clears throat> like a like a industry project marketplace where you can just search for various industry project you can team up with people and you can learn by doing right and you can earn, earn something or you can build this like super fancy uh like simulation game where, where you can like learn product management or learn machine learning by actually doing something on your pc right so the problem is that you can there is your your idea is riding on a very specific assumption and you can prove that 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 is indeed a gap by in many different ways i think just maybe choosing or thinking of the best way in which you can sell this idea and traction is is also like difficult right like how do you i think i guess how what is the best way to solve it so i guess product strategy and thinking of the right product strategy is is the challenge mm, that was a very hot tip by the way and i i know someone who was a, a fellow founder who's who does this which is going to business schools and asking a bunch of mba uh, students um the strategy for that business idea that the founder has come up with and i assume this is what you're talking about by searching for industry projects but this is uh what a previous uh founder has done just to to get ex extra like outsource that mind um without a lot of commitment yeah i think yep. that was <clears throat> so just on that uh other way is that the the thing that keeps you keeps you awake at night the what keeps me awake i guess is like how much uh how much fuel will i have right like there's 
there, there's so much of personal fuel and and ambition which is driving you uh it's it's just it's a lot of like a personal game as well it's like you've you've been in industry and like a com- comfortable kind of cushy cushy environment for so many years and uh, now it's just this very different environment where you have to fend for yourself and and try to build something which <clears throat> eight out of 10 people will laugh laugh at right i mean it's that's what's happening to mark as well and many different people uh and uh, so i guess yeah i guess it's just like will i will i just wake up one day and not have any more fuel to kind of uh proceed right it's just it's just a lot of ambiguity um you're you're trying to you're trying to sort of get uh, you know kind of test a revenue model you're trying to figure out how big of a problem you know you're you're addressing you're trying to figure out how much motivation you have you're trying to figure out uh, one, another big thing is like upskilling and learning right like every kind of founder uh has to learn so much especially like the young ones who are who are early 20s or even less than that you just have to learn so much to to like uh to kind of be better than what is already existing in the market and this leads to like a lot of imposter sy- syndrome right and just questioning whether you have the skill sets and expertise to do it so i guess it's just that i mean it's just it's just overcoming a lot of personal problems and you know keeping yourself going i think the the other stuff around like it's like it, it, like exploring markets and you know doing your numbers and analysis and everything it, it's just a lot more comfortable than the <laughs> than the other psychological problems <clears throat> but that's a good worry to have uh, it's 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 a, it's a healthy uh, thing to worry about the amount of uh, fuel left in your system right it almost comes down to like the fundamental questions humans have as to are you worried about death or not right every every everything is somehow related to to death Uh, when we're alive death or debt death it's it's the philosophical question of uh, how much runway do we have right whether you're a startup whether you're a living being whether you are a, uh, yeah a, that by the way is the like both debt and death <laughs> debt as well right but the I, the I, thing with I, debt I, is debt keeps growing right but death arrives <laughs> one point I I think you're getting ahead of yourself uh Evid is just look he's looking for a partner first <laughs> and you know uh share share that uh have someone that compliments him in uh what he said that's what he's good at and what he's looking for um and to bounce ideas off of which is what is the opposite of um competition it's actually this collaboration is what generates creativity Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so James grounded me uh, away from the meta philosophies <laughs> and the metaverse, you know. Um so on the flip side of that question, what um what gives you a good night's sleep? Hmm. If I I love this, right? I love it when when there is a certain uh, uh when when you have when you go with a certain assumption and intuition that this is missing and you you kind of talk to certain users and it it kind of confirms that intuition 
you just feel so good about you know having thought about that and having your eventual customer validate that assumption right um so yeah i mean like for example one i i think i talked to you about it prasanna before right that hey you know there's this massive trend of of filters and you know vtubers and uh, virtual youtubers right and and they kind of use these intricate avatars to stream their to live stream their whatever they're just chatting or games and so on right what i just did now with with hallway and uh, and then i you know i happened to speak to this uh, you know this game streamer he streams simulation games like uh, microsoft simulator and um, your fishing simulator and 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 driving like there's this also game called farming simulator so he, he's he's like a simulation game streamer and he mentioned i'll do i'll i'll do whatever it takes to offer a immersive experience to to my audience right so one day he'll he'll essentially wear he'll wear a pilot suit to and and show his entire pilot suit body to his audience and he'll play flight simulator in that pilot suit or or let's say if he's going on kind of like a truck simulation drive he'll wear like a trucker's outfit so people do want to express themselves in in different ways and and uh, you know avatars like virtual avatars is like a great use case for it right it just it makes it so easy for people to embody different uh, personas and and offer an immersive experience to to their users right and i i love it when it happens right so it kind of it kind of uh, validates kind of thinking i've been doing um another thing which is uh, which is useful is like if if let's say you know you you see news that a company in the same uh in the same space is is getting funded and it can it can mean both things right it could be that hey you you kind of missed out on this opportunity but it also provides validation to the kind of space you're in right and investor interest so it like if you're if you're able to get signals from the market that this exact area is getting investor interest without you even pitching to any investor you kind of already have that validation that that's something which 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 investors are excited about right um uh, like like for example one one kind of um thread which which i had in my mind was so if you if you look at all the categories in the creator economy right whether it is photography or filmmaking or creative writing uh or filmmaking right? or 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 video editing or it could be graphic design right people create multiple different things creative writing is like the second biggest category of of the creator economy after photography so people just upload photos on instagram and i think pinterest and so on that's the number one category and the second one is creative writing right you'll have articles on medium you'll have fan fiction articles and i mean i was just kind of curious of this entire uh, storytelling and, and fan fiction space right uh, fan fiction by the way is massive there are a lot of die hard fans uh, you know in terms of extending uh, a sort of uh, virtual worlds which have been created by authors like tolkien and um, what what are these other worlds right there are a lot of these uh, like harry potter is another fantasy world which which jk rowling had created right and there's this whole gang of uh, of of fans which basically make uh, you know their 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 own versions of what you know what harry potter is up to you know in his, in, in some other storyline and so on and then there's this company called hiddendoor uh, dot ai which which i think recently got 
some seed interest from the makers fund which is like one of the top gaming uh, venture capital firms and hidden door hidden door has this really cool idea that um it it kind of um, it kind of uh, it kind of offers this product where you can do collaborative uh, real time storytelling driven by ai right where let's say if if you if you have if you have a certain virtual world you can uh, you can basically you you can essentially define what let's say let's say you have wizard of oz right wizard of oz is like this super popular uh, fable now let's say you want to extend wizard of oz uh into your own virtual world and and you want to say that hey you know i want to extend it such that i'm in the forest and you know the witch is is you know chasing me and and xyz so it uses generative ai concepts to 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 kind of generate newer and newer storylines around around fiction um <clears throat> and and yeah and this uh, Yeah, James, go ahead. But this this is something which I was kind of thinking about, and you know, it's just like something which got funded. So it's 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 good to hear such things. Uh, I'm definitely going to look that up. I'm curious of how AI actually is generating stories that's almost close to sentient, like because stories are so personal, right? Like what makes a a story connect to a person, and so if they figure that out, you know, it's almost like a language that they could speak on itself. Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, there's definitely there's a TechCrunch article on it, and they have a small demo. But I think the AI is orchestrating the story more than generating it. So it's actually being it's being generated by real humans uh, in a collaborate. I think there is a collaborative element to it, but uh, but certain directions are being orchestrated by the AI, who's using GPT three, uh, is... which was interesting. This is this is amazing because this is open source story writing, and that collaboration is what spurs on each other's creativity. Um, and so they're all putting this together. Um, they're not thinking about who's going to get you know that contract, who's going to make money. There, it's not hindering them at all. They're not thinking about that. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, there is this yeah whole other world. Yeah, and if you if you think about how many times you have scrolled Netflix and not been able to find something you like for like twenty minutes, right? Like for sure. Just <laughs> imagine the ability to kind of say that, hey, I'm into like zombies and like uh, you know uh, hotels, hotels, zombies and hotels, and uh, I want to hear make stories up on that. That's what it gives you the ability to do. It's funny you picked Netflix and not Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> I got to I got to tread carefully. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh yeah, I'll I'll be the neutral person to say both have the same problems. Um it's definitely very very difficult to create amazing storied uh filled um or captive movies cuz it's really hard cuz otherwise there's there's no such thing as crap films. I mean, people all those investors who invested in that film must have thought it was a really good story back then. And hence this the human element is very difficult there's too many variables and i'm impressed if there's an ai who actually can't figure this out um, so hidden door is probably the first step into this like orchestrating and while the humans are filling that gap in the meantime yeah, check it out it's quite super exciting it seems like it builds itself on the shoulder of giants right so you had the open ai models and the google's models uh, which were lambda and gpt3 right 
um, <clears throat> natural language, storytelling, or any other form of question and answers, chatbots are slowly becoming uh, solved problems uh, in the AI space. I wouldn't say they have solved those problems, but Facebook, for example, its uh, customer service is fully chatbot driven. Only if things escalate beyond a certain point, uh, do you reach an actual customer service agent. So yeah, they're, um, I think as an ecosystem, we're getting there. And uh, uh, it's interesting to to say that it brings you a good night's sleep, Edward, because uh, it does also bring me a good night's sleep to see the progress uh, made by the giants in AI and the small guys. Um, and when the small guy wins, it gives me a better night's sleep, you know. Um, just... just um, on that note, we we covered a lot of different topics today. We covered all the way from metaverse to uh, to to uh, Amazon's culture to uh, to uh, to the navigation of the why uh, mental well being, the creator ecosystem, the avatars in and your identity in the metaverse space, how do you navigate in a pre-startup phase? So I think this is probably the longest episode that we have uh, ever recorded. I don't know by the time we put it up whether we'll split it into two episodes or not, uh, but uh, for sure it's been this 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 episode or this recording for me has been a personal journey, which I enjoyed. So as usual, I uh, wind up with a small snippet of a small poem. Uh, um, goes as a note to truth, which connects to the short time span and the mental well-being. The truth is everywhere for a seeker of nowhere. In a world of contextual limits, the answer is to bury oneself. To bury oneself in the depths of information, in the lack of context, in the negation of perception. From the sea of fallacies will you arise naked from the loss of purpose, hurt from the lies of reasons. Naked and hurt you will seek not for dopamine pieces, not for facts that complete the puzzle, not for the simplicity of attainment. What you will find will not pleasure you. It will fill you up with joy. We are seekers after all. And hopefully you find your why pretty soon, Edward. Yes, all the that best would... of luck. All Thank the best. You. Um, Thank you, guys. It was, it was good fun. And uh, all the best to you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. All right. So, Bye-bye. Next time, folks. Have a good day. Till next time. Yeah. Bye-bye.